This week's topic is leadership, but I want to start off with a beautiful story. After years of research and preparation, James had finally secured a slot to speak at the prestigious International Physics Conference. And he would be presenting his studies in the field of quantum mechanics and was looking forward to the larger scale event of his life. Because James had never before presented at an official conference, let alone one of such prestige. And it had taken every ounce of courage within him to even submit work to this event. But he knew that a successful lecture could change the trajectory of his career. And when the day of the presentation arrived, James woke up feeling nervous, but excited. He was about to present his life's work before a crowd of the foremost researchers in his field. And after preparing his lecture, and after preparing all of his notes very carefully, he strode into the conference room. And the room was completely empty. Strange, he thought. Maybe the previous sessions were overtime. Maybe they're still going. I don't know. So he prepares everything carefully. He looks down at his watch again. And it's now five minutes past the start time. And a single person has shown up. A bead of sweat rolls down his neck as he weighs his options. Maybe this was all for nothing, he thinks angrily. Maybe I should just pack up and leave. No. Just give it another minute or so, a calmer voice in the back of his head insists. Three seconds later, an elegant-looking gentleman, probably in his mid-sixties, walks into the room, and he slowly strolls to the front row, takes a seat, and focuses his piercing blue eyes on James. Slightly taken aback, James forces a smile and proceeds to deliver his lecture, surprised at how engaged his single audience member is. And upon concluding his speech, the man came over and generously thanked James for sharing such an enlightening presentation. Wow! I've been to countless conferences, but this was the greatest presentation I have ever been privileged to hear. You have a bright future ahead of you, son. I wish you all the success in the world, and I can't wait to see all the incredible things you accomplish with your life. Upon hearing this drone, James floated out of the conference, inspired and confident to begin his next big project. And while unpacking from his trip, he found a crumpled up copy of the conference brochure. So he proudly looked at it again and he he suddenly noticed something, someone, staring back at him from the cover of the glossy pamphlet. It was his blue-eyed friend. And as he looked closer, he remembered feeling that the blue-eyed audience member looked oddly familiar. Of course he looked familiar, he gasped. He realized that this man was the keynote speaker, the featured scientist who had been flown in from London to lead the conference. And this was one of the most respected and revered figures in the scientific world, and he had come to James's speech. So James spent the next several hours tracking down this man's phone number, and when he finally got him on the phone, James couldn't contain himself. I don't understand. You're the greatest quantum physicist in the world. You knew everything I said and infinitely more. Why did you even bother coming to my presentation? So there was a small pause and then a gentle reply. I'll tell you the truth. 
30 years ago, I was a young, ambitious thinker, and I wanted to make a big impact on the world. I got an opportunity to present at a conference very similar to the one we just came from. This was the most exciting opportunity I had ever been given, and I prepared night and day for months in advance. And when I showed up to deliver my presentation, not a single person showed up. I was crushed, defeated, dejected, and I seriously doubted my self-worth that I almost gave up on all of my aspirations altogether. It took me years to overcome the emotional hurt, and yesterday, when I finished my keynote address, I was actually on my way back to the airport to present at another conference, but when I passed by your room, when I saw you standing there in an empty room, it was like looking at a mirror. A reflection of my past emerged and I saw myself standing in front of an empty lecture hall. I knew that the best way to encourage you, to teach you, to ensure that you continue striving forward was to sit in on your presentation and show you respect, to make you feel heard. You know, the greatest form of leadership is empowering others to be leaders. And James never forgot that conversation. The question of leadership is both fascinating and also fundamental to human society. In this week's Parsha, Parsha Softim, the Torah discusses the three categories of Jewish leadership. The Melech, the king, the Sanhedrin, the courts, and the Kohanim, the priests. But we have to ask, what is the Jewish approach to leadership? And how does it compare to other perspectives on leadership? The most primitive form of leadership is a selfish leadership. It's rule driven by power and fear. In such a system, the leader represents only himself and his own selfish desires. He demands power, craving it for himself, and leads his people primarily through fear. In such a system, the leader demands the allegiance of his people and promises food, shelter, and perhaps power and honor in return for loyalty and respect. And this was the old system where kings, tyrants, and oligarchies ruled large provinces where wealth, birthright, or rebellion served as the right for leadership. And the purpose of leadership was focused solely on the leader. The goal was to give the leader increased power, respect, and control. And as you can probably tell, the system was inherently corrupt. There was endless bloodshed. The king killed anyone who stood in his way. And, and there were pointless wars whereby the king would send his young men to die for no other reason than to expand his territories and increase his own glory. And in essence, the king answered to no one other than himself. And in response to such corruption, there became an increased desire to shift the focus of power. As history unfolded, leadership moved towards democracy because in such a system, the power belongs to the people, not the leader. The leader is appointed to best serve the people. And if he fails to do so, he'll be removed and replaced with someone better suited. And this is a far better system than the previous one because it stabilizes power. It creates a society focused on the needs of the people rather than an individual king or elite few. But nevertheless, there's still a fundamental problem 
with pure democracy. A leader becomes nothing more than a puppet of the people. And the flaw in this is apparent. Imagine if parents lost their parental license as soon as their child got upset with their decisions. <laughs> I mean, as soon as the parent put their child to bed, they'd be out of a job. When a leader is fully subject to the will of the people, it's impossible to lead. Democratic leaders may appear to be leading, but in essence, they're following. In the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Daf 97a, Sadi Zion of an Aleph, states that Mashiach will come at a time when the generation's face will be like the face of a dog. And Rav Khan Wasserman explains the depth behind this statement. When you see someone walking a dog on a leash, from the onlooker's perspective, it appears as though the dog is leaning. I mean, he's the one walking ahead of its owner. He appears to be calling the shots. However, this is an illusion. The dog is completely subject to the will of its owner. One small tug and he changes direction. The dog is the follower placed in an illusory position of leadership. And many democratic systems suffer from the same flaw. Leaders are appointed by the people and therefore are fully subject to the will of the people. They walk ahead pretending to lead, but in fact, they're merely puppets. Whatever the people want, they'll do. They create their policies and campaigns around the people and polls, not based on their internal values. They would change their policy in an instant if it meant more votes. And that's not what true leadership is. A true leader stands for the truth for their inner values, regardless of opposition. He or she walks ahead and does not look back. Even if no one follows, they push onward. They never sacrifice their ideals for public approval. A true leader creates a direction for a greater future, a pathway to individual and collective greatness, and inspires the people to strive for that ideal. This is the nature of Jewish leadership Let's briefly explore this topic. So, a Torah leader does not represent himself or the will of the people. He represents Hashem. A Torah leader is a delegate of Hashem in this world and will lead the people towards the truth, towards their true destination. And of course, he'll care about and empathize with every individual, deeply so. But the foundational goal of leadership involves driving people towards a transcendent goal. Traditional kings represented themselves and were therefore no greater than themselves. And democratic leaders are chosen by the will of the people and are therefore usually no better than the people themselves. But a true leader is one who is striving towards perfection and leading others on their individual and collective journeys as well. And there are three categories of Jewish leadership mentioned in the Torah, each of which serve their own unique role. And while, all, while they all serve a, both a practical and religious role, each category maintains its own unique purpose in enabling the Jewish people to fulfill their purpose and connect to Hashem. The Melech serves as an embodiment and manifestation of Hashem in this world, negating his ego and serving to reveal Hashem in this world. The Sanhedrin serves to maintain the Jewish ideals in society, ensuring that the Jewish people live up to their purpose. And the Kohanim 
served to both help the Jewish people connect up to Hashem and to help properly manifest Hashem into this world. In an ideal society is one where everyone is devoted towards achieving their own unique greatness while simultaneously devoting that individual greatness towards the larger collective greatness of all of Klai Yisrael. A leader's role is to enable each individual to embark on their own journey of self-discovery and achievement while also helping them devote their lives to a greater whole, to that which transcends themselves, to Hashem, to the Jewish people, and to the world as a whole. And this perhaps explains a very strange halacha found in this week's Parsha. If a man is found dead outside a city, the elders of the city have to break the neck of a calf and proclaim that they did not kill this person. This is known as the halacha of Egla Arufa. Why though would this even cross our minds? Of course the elders, the leaders of the city didn't murder an innocent Jew. So what's the deeper meaning of the strange halacha? So the Gemara elaborates on the procedure of the Agla Rufa and explains that the elders of the city must promise that they did not turn the man away without food and an escort. But do the leaders really have to escort every single guest out of their city? So on a practical level, this means that the, as the elders of the city, they did not refuse this man adequate sustenance and protection. But Rev. Michal Rosenzweig suggest a deeper understanding, one that carries with it a profound lesson. The elders of the city are the leaders of the city, and it's their job to create the atmosphere and standards of the city to inspire greatness in the people. And if done correctly, nobody in the city would ever murder an innocent man. The elders are therefore required to swear that it wasn't due to their lack in their leadership that this murder occurred, but that they had set the proper standards to make sure this was impossible. And with this foundation, we can now study a few of the key characteristics of a great leader. What makes someone great? What makes a leader a great leader? You know, everyone is a leader to some extent. Some will lead their families, others will lead the world, but the numbers are relevant. The principles remain the same. The crucial prerequisite of leadership is to first develop yourself. Before you can lead anyone else, you have to first lead yourself towards a greater state of existence. And this requires a relentless and undying desire to better yourself to improve every aspect of your life, to generate greater levels of self-awareness, and to maximize your full potential. And fundamental to this process is developing a deep awareness and connection with Hashem, with your Creator. And it's therefore no surprise that almost all Jewish leaders in the Torah were shepherds. Havel, the Avos, Rivka, the Shvatim, and Moshe were all shepherds, people who had the time and ability to contemplate the nature of existence and to connect with Hashem in the deepest of ways. They had the space, time, and peace of mind to gain deeper levels of self-awareness and, and they weren't caught up in the unimportant and tedious elements of life. They walked around in nature admiring the awe-inspiring world Hashem created and in addition to the obvious element of empathy in leading a flock, a shepherd's life is one that enables a spiritually flourishing existence. 
And a leader must also be willing to walk alone on the right path instead of following the masses. Avram was the Ish Ifri because he walked on the opposite side of the river, Aver Haryardite. He walked alone, choosing to live a life of truth rather than a life of social acceptance. And as the saying goes, the way you can tell which fish are alive in the river current is by determining which ones are swimming upstream against the current. Sometimes one can see clearest when they have the time to distance themselves from their current surroundings, to, to rethink, to redirect, and then return with newfound purpose and meaning. Avraham completely removed himself from his culture. Moshe spent decades alone in the desert on the run from Paro, building his clarity and understanding of life before returning to lead the Jewish people. David grew up as an outcast before being appointed as king by Shmuel. And yes, this is not always necessary, but often a step back leads to a giant step forward. And this is why teenagers who leave their homes in Chutzlaretz and spend time learning Torah and Eretz Israel find it to be so transformative in their spiritual development. And after one has properly developed his or her own self and his or her own connection with Hashem, they must learn to then properly expand themselves outwards, devoting their life to that which transcends themselves, to their people. And this requires one to become a giver, a lover of others, to focus on the well-being of their nation. Avram was an ish chesed, a man of kindness. Moshe's first sign of leadership was his empathy, his feeling the pain of those outside of himself. He intervened when a Mitzri was beating a Jew, when Dustin and Aviram were fighting, and when Yisro's daughters were being harassed. A shepherd, as well, generates kindness generosity and empathy towards other sentient beings. And it's fascinating to note the unique progression of Moshe's empathy. First, he stops a non-Jew from hurting a Jew. And then he stops a Jew from hurting a Jew. And finally, he prevents a non-Jew from hurting a non-Jew. And this reflects an ideal whereby we care about all of humanity, not only people who we are related to, feel close to, or relate to ideologically. And the leader is also willing to sacrifice and endure pain for his people. A real leader puts his people before himself. The 70 Zakanim, the 70 elders in the Midbar, were the taskmasters in Mitzrayim. They were beaten mercilessly by the Mitzrayim because they refused to hurt their brethren when the Jews failed to meet their quotas. And for enduring such pain and sacrifice, they were awarded with positions of leadership. Because true leaders do not sacrifice their people for their own well-being. Israeli generals are known to lead their soldiers into battle, not remain behind in the safety of their army's protection. And leaders also care as much about the individual as the masses. It's great to inspire the masses, but if you wouldn't give just as much of yourself to help an individual, there's something essential missing from your leadership abilities. When a single sheep ran away from the flock, Moshe ran after it to retrieve it. And it's no surprise that this event led towards Hashem revealing himself to Moshe at the burning bush, at the snap. And last but not least, a true leader never desires power for himself. His goal is solely to fill his unique purpose and to help others 
do the same. He leads by directing his people towards something far greater than himself. He leads them towards Hashem, towards their purpose, towards their destiny. Leaders are not only the face of a nation. The people who stand in front of large crowds and deliver extraordinary and inspiring speeches. Leaders are those who are on a mission. Those who empower others. Those who are always looking for ways to contribute to Klai Yisrael, the Jewish people as a whole. Leaders are great parents, great teachers, great friends. Because we're all potential leaders. We are all potential revolutionaries. We can all create change in the world. But to create any external change, we must first learn to change ourselves. So let's all be inspired to become the greatest version of ourselves with the hopes of becoming people capable of inspiring others to become the greatest version of themselves as well.